Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, that was very sweet of you uh, to cheer. If I'd have known you were going to do that, I'd invited Andy the last 10 years to come and introduce me. So that'd have been awesome. Uh, hey, and I, I thought the same thing Andy thought when Lauren was talking and we sang that new song. I was like, we should just pray and go home. I mean, unreal. What a great moment for all of us, really, you know. Um, we're not going to pray and go home because it's my last day and I can do whatever I want. So um, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I have a good friend who says it all the time. He says, you can do whatever you want on your last day at work. So I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, I, I, you've had a last day of something, right? And maybe you've all had last days of work. Hopefully they've all been great. Hopefully you chose them. Now, I suspect some of them were chosen for you. We won't talk about those. But like, think about that last day of a thing a job, a, a career, I mean, whatever it might be, your last day and you chose it, that's like a weird day, you know? You're like walking around the office with your box of stuff and, you know, you can't remember who bought the stapler, do you take it or not? I mean, it's just a weird day, you know? And, and, and you're thinking, like, what do I do on the way out? Like, what do I talk about? Who do I talk to? Like, what really, what really matters? And I bet some of you have worked at some pretty bad places, like you had a boss or some coworkers and you know, you were like, this is my last day. I can do anything I want on my last day. Well, you're like, I'm gonna channel my inner Frank Costanza on Seinfeld from Festivus, right? And you're like, I got a lot of problems with you people and now you're gonna hear about it. <laughs> so I thought about that. You know what I realized, obviously? I don't really have any problems. I love you. I love this church. I love this community so much. But you know what I do have? And we kind of sang about it just a second ago. I, I just have a lot of hope for you. I, I, I got a lot of hope for you people, and I've got one last chance to share it with you. So I thought, what would be better? What would be better on my last time, at least preaching as the pastor, Sam or me, invite me back, we'll see, but my last official day as a pastor of this church, like what would be the most important thing to talk about? And I really thought, you know, the most important thing might be the very reason we came here anyway. I mean, 13, almost 13 years ago, we were in Peachtree City, Georgia, loving life. I'm running a marketing agency. My dad and I are doing that work together. We have a golf cart, as Andy mentioned. We, we didn't even have a golf, we had a six-seater golf cart, like a luxury limo golf cart. I mean, like we were rolling. I was playing golf all the time. I mean, it's a pretty good life down there. And, and there was this church in Woodstock, and we had never been to Woodstock. I knew one person who lived up here, and it was the person who happened to be working here, Andy Jones. I just met him because he was running students and I was helping with students at a church in Peachtree City and we had met a few times. And we came and did a site visit. You know, Andy Jones actually at the site visit said, why in the world would you leave Peachtree City to come here? And I was like, we're not. So, you know. <laughs> but on the way home, we began to talk and think about what it would look like to maybe do that and maybe is God kind of leading us to do it. But, but God isn't leading us, you know, we, we knew God isn't leading us to come try to help a church resurrect. We wasn't coming to add leadership and vision. I mean, all of that was necessary. It's a part of it. But it was way bigger than that. There was something way more important than the organization of the church. So I thought, you know what? Today, we should talk about that thing. We should talk about that one thing that is the most important thing that the church gets to represent. It's the reason 
we came here in the first place. So to kind of get to that one thing, we're gonna go back and look at a story. We began it last week. I'll catch you up a little bit. It's really the story of one of the most famous people in the Bible. If you're a Bible person, if you've read through the beginning Genesis, you bumped into this guy and he has a pretty long narrative in Genesis. His name is Jacob. And so last week, right, last week on Jacob versus God, you've got in the heavenly corner, God, who's really powerful. We don't know what he weighs in at, but he is really strong. And he has come to pick a fight with Jacob because Jacob's coming out of the deceitful corner, the manipulator corner, the lying corner. I mean, Jacob, Jacob's not the best guy. Jacob's not the guy you really wanna be married to. He's not the guy you want your daughter to date. He's not the guy who you really think God is gonna use for anything because he's just so bad. He's constantly lying, constantly manipulating, always trying to control situations. I mean, he's just doing it however he wants because he's chasing something that he desperately believes he's supposed to have. So God shows up in the middle of this moment. It's a kind of climactic moment. God shows up in it with some really kind of bad intentions, but he needs to get Jacob's permission. He needs to get his attention. So he shows up into this tent and they have a cage match for control. I mean, it's a wrestling match, really about submission and about giving his life to God. It's a complete kind of moment that capsizes 97 years in the life of Jacob. But what's so interesting about Jacob's match with God is it looks like our relationship with God too. I mean, Jacob's tent wrestling, it was a physical expression because they literally wrestled but it actually kind of represented a spiritual problem. There was a spiritual issue that Jacob was struggling with. Jacob was fighting against faith. Jacob was fighting against faith. He was fighting against believing that God is who he says he is and that God would do what he said he was going to do. God had made a really significant promise to Jacob. And it began with his granddad, a person you may have heard of, Abraham, the father of all faith. God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, and he struggled to even have one child. Eventually, God intervened, and they had a child. Well, Isaac is born, Jacob's father. Isaac and his uh, wife, Rebecca, are also barren. They're struggling to have children. God intervenes when they're about 60 years old. And God intervenes in a really interesting way. Rebecca is found to be pregnant with twins. That sounds terrible. And she's inquiring of God. She's, what is going on inside of me? And as she asks God what to do about all of this, God makes a promise about those two kids, about Jacob. Here's the promise that God made. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. That's the promise that God made about her, about her kids, her children, her boys. Now, what's so interesting about this promise is it goes against everything that happened back then. Now, as the oldest born son in my family, I think we should still do these things, but things are different now, right? Back then, oldest born son, you kinda got it all. You got the vast bulk of the inheritance. You got your dad's, your family blessing. You would be the one to carry out the lineage, to carry out the family name, like you were the man. And God says, yeah, I know that's how it normally happens, but, but not this time. This time it's gonna be different. 
This time, the older child, the older son, is actually gonna serve the younger one. I mean, they're both gonna turn into nations, but we're gonna do it differently, God would say, because I have a plan, and this is how the plan's gonna happen. But Jacob, Jacob really struggled as the younger brother to believe in that plan, because it's not how things normally happen. Jacob hears about this promise that God has made about him, but, but he just has a lot more questions about the promise than answers. He's got a lot more questions and concerns than he does faith and trust that God is actually who he says he is, and that he actually will make good on that promise. I mean, in a very real way, right? Jacob, Jacob really wanted the promises of God. That's what he wanted. Jacob wanted the promises of God, but without the pain of surrender. Does that sound like anybody else you might know? Like you, maybe? <laughs> And me, like, isn't that true? Like, we all want the promises of God, love, unconditional acceptance, forgiveness. We want all of that, you know, give me, give me, give me, God. Our prayers represent that. But we don't really wanna submit to, to God. I mean, we don't wanna surrender to God. If we surrender to God, we can't surrender the world to us. Like, if we're wrestling against the world, trying to make the world submit to us, our spouse, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our relationships, our job, our kids, if we're trying to make all the things around us submit to our will, well, we can't equally submit to God. So we end up in that wrestling match. That's where Jacob literally is. But what's worse for Jacob is that after all the deceit in his home, he tricks his brother into his birthright. He tricks his dad and his brother's dad into giving him the greater blessing that should have gone to his brother Esau. He flees because of all the trickery. As he's running away, his brother Esau looks at him and he says, if you ever show your face around here again, I'm gonna kill you. So he runs away. He goes to his uncle's house, but guess what he does with his uncle? More deceit, more lying, more con artistry. Then he has to run away from his uncle Laban and he has nowhere to go. So he's headed back home. And guess who is waiting for him at home? His older brother, Esau, who 20 years ago said, if you ever show your face again, if I ever see you again, I will kill you, I promise. It's a pretty tough situation Jacob has found himself in. He's really living under like two promises, right? He has God's promise, the older will serve the younger, and he has his brother's promise, I'm gonna kill you. And, and those promises are kind of like mutually exclusive. They can't both happen. And Jacob knows that. So he is running home and he's terrified. He's scared to death. And he knows that Jacob is gonna make good on that promise. Because after all, that's what he deserves. I mean, after all the lying and deceit, Jacob deserves to die at the hand of Esau. He deserves to be killed by Esau. And he knows that's what's gonna happen. It's the night before that he's gonna face his brother Esau the night before. And he's beginning to manipulate the situation. He even prays to God and he manipulates, tries to manipulate God in the situation. It's unbelievable. He divides all of his things and people up and he sends them across the river in preparation to meet Jacob the next morning. He divides them up. I mean, here's how good of a guy Jacob is. He divides everybody up because he hopes that in the morning, Esau will see one of the groups attack, slaughter them. The rest of the other group can slide off and escape. And guess which one Jacob's gonna go with? I mean, Jacob's willing to sacrifice half his people to save his own life and try to obtain this promise 
that God's given to him. He just can't quit manipulating. He can't quit trying to control. It's who he is. It's all he's ever done. Now he's 97 years old. <laughs> he's a few hours away from facing his brother and really certain death. Esau has 400 fighting men and they are prepared and ready. I mean, they have spent 20 years rehearsing. What do we do when we see Jacob? We kill him. What do we do when we see Jacob? We kill him. I mean, they are ready and it's a few hours away. But God does something that evening that is just incredible. We talked about this last week. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. He's dividing everything up. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Jacob is left alone in his tent. Everything he has is on the other side of this river. And a man, as it's written, that we find out is actually God. God has shown up in the tent, cage match style. Let's get ready to rumble. Here we go, Jacob. I am just tired of the lying. I'm tired of the deceit. I'm tired of the manipulation. Meanwhile, I made a promise to you that for some reason you just can't trust me to follow through. I've made a promise and I've been trying to fulfill it, but you keep getting in the way. I mean, God has incredible plans for Jacob and by the way, us through Jacob eventually. But those plans can't happen if Jacob keeps fighting with God. So God decides, if you wanna fight with me, sure, let's fight. And he shows up. That's where we left it off last week. So let's pick up the story from there. When the man God, when God saw that he could not overpower Jacob, now really quick, overpower doesn't mean he couldn't physically overpower him. He's God. We're actually gonna see in a minute how easy it was for God to overpower Jacob. But, but what really what's happening here, what the, the, the emotion behind it, is that God is never going to force Jacob to believe. He's gonna give him all the opportunity. He's gonna give him the promise He's gonna prove that he's trustworthy, but he's not gonna force him in faith. He's gonna force him to accept his belief. He's not gonna force him to feel and accept that love and, and acceptance and, and forgiveness. He's not gonna do that to you either. He's not gonna do that to you either. I mean, just like Jacob, we're like that. Our real fight is always more spiritual than physical or emotional. And we're tempted, like Jacob was, to think, no, 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 my fight is against my dad, my mom, my brother, my uncle, against all the people around me. My fight is against my career, my spouse, my kids, my past, my tendencies, my addiction. My, that's my fight. And God's like, no, 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 that, that's actually not the issue. I'm the issue. You're, you're fighting with me. It's not a physical thing. It's not an emotional. It's a spiritual thing. That was true of Jacob. And that's really true of all of us, too. So, like Jacob, you can go back real quick if you don't mind. Like Jacob, like Jacob, our real fight, it's so much more spiritual than physical or emotional. And that's a huge part of your story. And that's a huge part of my story. And it really defines Jacob's story. So when the man, when the man saw that he could not overpower him spiritually, because he wasn't going to, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. I mean, I told you, I mean, it's God, right? Like, towards the end of the wrestling match, he's basically looking at Jacob. He's like, are you done yet? Have you got it out of your system yet? 
Do you have little kids? Have you ever done this? Maybe if you had little kids, like you're two, three, four years old and they wrestle with you. We should do that with our kids. I used to love to wrestle with the kids. And you know, they'd always pin you, right? As a dad, especially, you'd let your kid crawl on you and you know, pin you, count to three, and you're going, let me go. And they're laughing and giggling, you know? And then you pick them up and you throw them on the bed. That's God. God's looking at Jacob. He's like, have you got it out of your system yet? Boom, don't forget who I am. Touches his hip and it wrenches his hip. But it's a really defining moment. Because all night long, Jacob's been holding on to God in a fight. But in that moment, Jacob started holding on for a different reason. Jacob started holding on because he was injured and he needed to hold on. Things started to change in Jacob's heart. It's almost like God needed to get to the end of Jacob to make room for something better. I mean, God made a promise to Jacob. But before God could really do something through Jacob, God had to change something inside of Jacob. He had to heal something in Jacob. And it took an all-night wrestling match for that to really happen. So the story continues. It's just incredible. Then the man said, God said, let me go, Jacob, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob has been chasing this blessing his entire life and he's tried to get it through these manipulative trickery ways and he still knows he doesn't hold it because he knows God is the only one who can give it and he starts begging for that new blessing. But this is the turning point. I mean, as I mentioned, up until this point, he's been holding on in a fight but now he's holding on in surrender. He's holding on and he's submitting. And the reason is because he has recognized for the first time how powerful God really is. And if he's that powerful, maybe he can actually be trusted. If, If he's actually that powerful, maybe I can allow him to control things. Maybe I can trust him. Maybe I can have faith in him. I mean, Jacob kind of begins that night holding on in a fight And he ends the match holding on in a completely different way, in faith. We we talked a little bit about that last week because that's true of us, right? Like whether we're in a fight or in faith, we're all gonna hold on to God. Like you're all holding on to God in some way. Some of you are holding on and you're fighting. And God will let you do that. Some of you are holding on in dependence, in humility, in love. And God will let you do that too. That's where Jacob is at now, finally, after 97 years. The man asked him, on the heels of this blessing, the man asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then God says to Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is such a beautiful moment. And he's like, Jacob, you know how your name means deceiver, manipulator, grabber of heels, and you've been living that out for 97 years? No more. Now your name is gonna be Israel. And he becomes the father of Israel, which means God rules. I trust God. God can be trusted. That's what the word Israel means. It's Jacob's new name. I mean, God changed 
Jacob's heart. Then he changed his name. And it literally changed everything. Because everything ultimately is spiritual. So, Jacob. Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. Remember that. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. I mean, in a very real physical way, right? Jacob walked into the tent and he limped out. But he limped out differently. He limped out changed because he had faced God. He had stopped fighting. He'd stopped running. He's been changed. He's, he's different. This is such a huge moment for us to consider. I mean, in Jacob's case, like wrestling with God changed the way he walked every single day of his life, right? And that's true of us as well. I mean, when you experience God up close, it changes you deep down. Like when you really experience God face to face, when you experience God up close, it changes you deep down. But just for a second, before you get all, that sounds amazing, I just wanna experience God. I mean, just for a second, do you really? I mean, think about it. Do you really wanna come face to face with God that way? I mean, it sounds great, but it's not just rainbows and unicorns. It can be real uncomfortable because it might require something change in you. It might require something change around you. When you come face to face with God, it can actually be pretty scary. I think this is the reason we like to fight with God and flee from God because fleeing from God and fighting with God is a little more comfortable than standing face to face with God. Because standing face to face with God exposes us to God, doesn't it? If you stop fighting and stop fleeing, if you just stand there and look at your heavenly father for a minute, it really exposes you to God. It exposes your sin. It exposes your self-dependence. It exposes how you've been trying to manipulate and control things in your life. It exposes your need for control. Facing God can be scary. I mean, facing God accentuates our need for God. And guess what? It's scary to admit you need God when you aren't sure if God really wants you. Isn't that how some of us feel? It is really, really scary to stop fighting and stop fleeing if you're not sure what God's gonna do if you quit. It's really tough to look God face to face if you're not sure what he's gonna say. If you're not sure what he's gonna do not sure how he feels about you. Is he, is he going to like hurt me? Is he going to harm me? Is he going to destroy me? Is he going to cast me aside? What is he really gonna do? That's where Jacob is with Esau in the very real moment. It's exactly what's happened. Jacob is terrified to face Esau because he has sinned directly against Esau. He should be terrified to face Esau. But what you're about to see, oh my gosh, it's so incredible. What you're about to see in the story of Jacob and Esau illustrates the story of Jacob and God. And it is an illustration for your story with God too. Because in this story, it almost feels like a parable. And Esau is gonna play the part of God. And Jacob is gonna be every single one of us. Jacob is moments away 
from facing his brother who's promised to kill him. And by the way, he's also not doing well. He's injured. I mean, if things were bad enough the night before, now he can barely walk and he's going to face certain death at the hands of his brother. But Jacob is no longer Jacob. Jacob is no longer the deceiver, the controller, the liar, the con artist. Jacob is different because he's decided to hold on to God in a different and fresh faith-based way. He's now Israel, and you see it in how the story plays out. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 fighting men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front of Leah and her children and Rachel and Joseph in the rear, which is what old Jacob would have done too, and let them go first, but not new Jacob. He himself He himself went on ahead. He got to the front of the line to face his brother, face to face. And he bowed down to the ground seven times. Go back. He bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother, bowing down in an act of submission, an act of acknowledgement. But Esau, Esau ran to meet Jacob and pulled his sword out and started, no, he didn't do any of that. That's what he deserved, though, right? It's exactly what Esau deserved. And it's probably what we might deserve, too, if we're honest. But it's not how God responds to you. It's not how Esau, playing the part of God, responded to Jacob, either. Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. And they wept. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine the emotion that Jacob is feeling, expecting to be killed and instead hugged? Expecting to be made to pay for all the sin and all the deceit and all the lying and instead he doesn't get any of that. He gets exactly what he doesn't deserve. There's a word for that. It's called grace. He gets grace. Then Esau He looks up and he he saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. And and Esau then says, well, well, what is the meaning of all the flocks and the herds that I've seen that I met? Jacob says, well, it's to find favor, favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau, but, but Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. You don't have to win me. You you don't have to buy my love. You don't have to earn any of it. I'm just gonna freely give it like God does. The story ends this way. Esau says, well, hey, let's, let's be on our way and I'll accompany you. I'm gonna go with you. You know what the summary of Jacob versus Esau is? The summary is Jacob understanding how God loves him and how God can actually be trusted. Because like Jacob, we spend so much of our life fighting with God and fleeing from God instead of just turning face to face to God. And I get it, that can be scary. It was scary for Jacob. But what if God isn't kind of chasing you for a bad reason? 
Like, like what if God is pursuing you because he wants to embrace you and he wants to accompany you from, from this moment forward? Like, like you have felt like God is hunting you. You have felt like God is trying to get you, but what if he isn't trying to get you? What if he's trying to hug you? What if God isn't trying to pay you back? What if he's just trying to win you back? And you're fighting and fleeing and fighting and fleeing, and the whole time God is just begging you to turn around and face him, face to face. I I don't know how you feel about God. I don't know what your other church or Christian experiences have been. I have a feeling that they aren't exactly representative of God. I don't know how you feel about God, but I do know exactly how God feels about you. And the reason I know is because when God sent Jesus, he told us there was a moment where Jesus described exactly how God feels about you. And one of Jesus's best friends, a guy named John was there and he wrote it down. Here's how God feels about you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, not behaves, not earns, because you can't, believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's how God feels about you. He loves you so much. He was willing to let his son die for you. He loves you so much, he's willing to accept you into his family, not because you can earn it and not because you deserve it, you don't. I don't even know you and I know you don't because I know I don't. But that's why it's called grace. That's why it's called faith. That's why we use that word unconditional around it because God actually does wanna bless you. God wants to bless you, but he wants to bless you with his acceptance and with his presence in every area of your life the good ones and the difficult ones. Now here's the reality. God isn't gonna force it on you though. Like God isn't going to force a blessing on you. He's not gonna force his acceptance on you. He's not even gonna force his presence on you. If you wanna be like Jacob, he'll let you. If you wanna control and manipulate, you can. If you wanna run away, you can. If you wanna fight, go ahead. But the minute you decide to quit, guess what you're gonna find? you're gonna find a loving heavenly father who's just waiting for you, who wants you to feel accepted and loved and cared for and forgiven by his grace. When I thought about today, I mean, you know, you think about like, how do you end a season of pastoring and ministry and all those things, you know? I mean, it's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about the vision for the future. The best is yet to come. I believe all that's true. I can't wait to come to church here with Samer leading it. I can't wait to call Samer my pastor and our family's pastor. I'm excited about all of that. But you know what I really thought about when I, when I considered this moment, this day, I thought, you know what? I can't think of a better way to end than the reason we came here in the first place. And as I mentioned earlier, it had nothing to do with organizations and finances and volunteers and buildings there was only one thing it had to do with, and it was a person, Jesus. The only reason we came here is because we wanted to be a part of inspiring as many people as we possibly could to quit fighting and fleeing from their heavenly father and instead just turn and see him face to face. So as we kind of wrap up today, and as really I wrap up my time, can I just maybe ask you to consider a question? It's kind of a penetrating question. It'd be difficult to think about, but I think it's worth it. 
What's keeping you? What's keeping you from facing God? For, For some of you, you have never, you have never looked at your heavenly father before. Probably because you've been a little afraid. I get it. But, but what's keeping you from doing that for the first time? For some of you, you've been following God for a long time, but there's just, and you hate it that you're here in a way because there's this area of your life and you know what it is because God has been pursuing you in that area your whole life. And I don't have to name it, but you know exactly what it is. And you so desperately want to trust God, but you are holding on in this one spot. What does it look like to let go? See, I think we have this feeling that if we hold on, we can control it. But do you know what holding on does? It keeps you from receiving anything because you can't get anything when your hands are closed. It's only when you open them that God can bless you with his acceptance, with his presence, with his love. God doesn't, to harm you. He just wants to hug you. He doesn't want to eliminate you. He wants to embrace you. He created you. He doesn't want to destroy anything in you or around you other than your self-pride and deception. He allowed his son to be destroyed so you wouldn't have to. And he's not going to force that on you. But the minute you decide to stop fighting and fleeing, you're gonna find a loving heavenly father and you're gonna experience him. And I can't promise you won't walk away from that experience without a little bit of a limp, but it's gonna be worth it because let's be honest, we're limping anyway. I would so much rather limp holding on to God in dependence than limp in my own control and my own manipulation being Jacob without him. So here's what we're gonna do. In a second, we're gonna sing a song, but I want you to think about turning and looking God face-to-face as we do. Because face-to-face, that's how we actually experience God's grace. It's the way we get to feel it. It's the way we get to experience it. What does it look like to stop fighting? What does it look like to stop fleeing? The song we're gonna sing, and I just love for you to think about as we sing it, it's called Run to the Father. And there's this line in it that I would love for you just to just pause as you listen to it. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. There's no reason to wait. I think that's pretty poignant with the story of Jacob and God. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to have that loving relationship with you, not because we earn it or deserve it, and there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it, but just because you love us that much that you have created a way in faith for us to experience you. God, I just pray that as we sing together, you will allow that emotion in our heart to be recognized as a spiritual thing that you are trying to do in us because you wanna do things through us. You want us to be blessed by you, to experience you, but we don't get to do that until we quit fighting with you and quit running away from you. So God, give us the courage to do that in this moment. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.